What's up, everyone? Welcome to this very special episode where we are announcing a new course. Um, it was previously recorded in a stream on Theory Underground, the YouTube channel, but um, I've I'm re-releasing it to the podcast because I think it's important, and I hope that someone who listens to the podcast will be able to join this course. So. Uh, with that said, listen to the end if you want uh, the special coupon discount code for podcast listeners only. Okay, bye-bye. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Theory Underground. I am David McCarriger, and today we are joined by the co-instructor of something that we are here to announce today, Anne Snellgrove. Welcome. Hello. How's it going? I am good. Got some beans on the stove. Good day. Yeah, we're both kind of recovering from a pretty brutal last week um, in our own ways. I had a a whole stomach thing and had a whole allergy thing, maybe. Uh, We're not really sure. Maybe allergies, maybe a little cold. I don't know. So I sound a little stuffy. I'll make sure to keep myself muted when I'm not talking. You don't hear my... Sniffles. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay if we hear you sniffle a little bit. Um, so yeah, well, we're going to be announcing some. Uh, the internet's not looking so good today. Uh, that's not good. In the chat, let me know if if things are good. For the people watching this in the future, not dealing with the buffering issues, welcome. Um, This is something that we've been talking about doing for a long time. Uh, It's a conversation that Ann and I both have had interpersonally, but also with ourselves and others, um, professionally, personally, really media and uh, smartphones and the, the, the usage of social media and our relationships with others that are mediated by these devices. It saturates every level of our existence in the world today. And so we like to think about the world that we live in and try to understand the situation we are in and what we're up against and how uh, technology and media and the ways that those are being used by power fundamentally transforms ourselves, our possibilities, our relations to one another. And that is basically critical media theory. Um, That's basically critical media theory. What is digital literacy? We're gonna be talking about why we feel need to teach this course. We're gonna be talking about what is critical media theory and digital digital literacy. Um, We're gonna be talking about the structure of this course and why we think it's really exciting. Um, Why it's kind of a a new thing we'd never really thought about doing before. And yeah, what makes it different and then we'll finish out with how you can sign up if you're interested in taking this course with us. But um, so, yeah, and you want to say some opening remarks about your educational experience and also your personal experience, why you're interested in this course and teaching it. For sure, yes. So I uh, graduated from Boise State University a couple years ago with a bachelor's degree in social science. So sociology was really my main focus. I was able to do 
a lot of research with various research projects within the university. So I kind of come to this topic, not only with an interest in the, and a little bit of a footing in the philosophy and the theory side, but I kind of bring the social science and the sociology side to this conversation. Um, but I think something else that I bring to this conversation is just the fact that I grew up with this technology from a very early age. And so I'll be able to kind of offer my perspective and the experience that I think a lot of young people share that I think we're just starting to, to reach this threshold where the people who are my age, who have grown up on iPads, iPods, Instagram since the age of 10, 11, 12 are now kind of in their 20s, reaching their, you know, reaching adulthood and realizing, oh, maybe I shouldn't have been on this technology and on these platforms at such an early age and especially such a formative age of adulthood. And so kind of for me, I, at, yeah, I, I was in, I think fifth or sixth grade when I, when like it was the iPad 2, the iPad 2 was out. I had a friend who had an iPad and I was like, I really want an iPad. And so I, my parents said, you can have one if you save up the money for it. And so I like did a lot of chores. I helped my dad with his baking business and he paid me to help him like bake. I, you know, for my birthday, I told people all I want is like Apple gift cards and money because I'm saving up for this iPad. And so yeah, at a very, very young age, I got this device and then next thing you know, I was on Instagram, seeing all my friends post selfies. And back then Instagram was when you're like 12 years old, you use Instagram, you just post anything and everything like multiple times a day, you post how you're feeling like so that I was I was hooked. I was hooked onto this media from a very early age. And in all my life, I have grown up with a smartphone basically in my pocket with instantaneous access to all of my friends, Facebook, Twitter, not so much Twitter anymore. Um, Snapchat, Instagram. Uh, now the new thing is TikTok. I was I did the TikTok thing during, you know, 2020 and 2021, when everyone was locked inside. I'm off TikTok now. And so through my whole life, I, I feel like I've kept trying to kind of pick the addiction, the addiction I've always been like okay tonight's the night I'm never using this again I'm gonna delete all my social media I'm gonna live my best life I'm gonna be productive and then I fall back on and so it's just been this continuous cycle for me in my life of trying to break the addiction trying to not use it as much trying to have a better relationship with technology and falling back on you know Dave and I were just talking earlier today about I even went as far as to I should go get it hold on one second I even went as far as to switch to this phone, no brick phone. So I still, I still kept my iPhone and I use my iPhone right now while we're in Mexico for like maps and stuff and we communicate with people on WhatsApp. But there was, I think, like a six month period where this was my main phone in the United States so that when I was out in public, I could still, you know, be able to receive texts and calls, but not have the instant access of, oh, I'm bored. Let's check Instagram or whatever. And once I, I here I am once again, like trying another experiment, feeling like it failed me or feeling like I failed the experiment, you know, always, you know, checking the phone. What's the, what's the new thing on Instagram? What's the new thing on Facebook? Also, this phone is a literal piece of shit. It, the, the Nokia, the buttons are bad. I can't receive group text messages and so it's, it's just hard in this day and age to escape it every time I feel like I want to have a better relationship with social media I realize oh I need to be on Facebook for this play that I'm in there's a Facebook group I need to check the events of this or the time and date of this event I need to use Facebook or Instagram messenger to check a message with someone and so it feels really hard to escape from this technology when like you're so when everyone's on it the whole society's on it all the cultural references are on 
on it. And so I'm just excited to, you know, teach this course and, and try something new because I think part of what's been missing for me when using all this technology is not just, okay, I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to get rid of it. But why? What does it mean to have a better relationship with technology? What are, you know, what's, what's the philosophy and, and theory behind digital literacy and critical media theory and, and the philosophy of technology? Um, why, why, sh why should I have a better relationship with it? What is it doing to me? And so those are some of the things we're hoping to explore in this course. And hopefully at the other end of it, I can, I can feel more confident in my ability to say, no, I'm, I don't need you today. It's okay. I don't need to be checking these, these social media apps every day. And I'm just looking forward to kind of experimenting with that. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's my experience. But I guess for, for me, the, the, the struggle was that early on, I didn't, for, for me, I came from outside of the phone, right? So, so I wasn't like, I, I didn't, you know, what, go through puberty on, 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 uh, on social media, like that, the idea of do of that is terrifying to me now, you know, it's, it, when I try to think back, like, what would that have been like? Um, instead it was, you know, like it was a little bit more gradual, you know, uh, dumb phones. I, I experienced dumb phones first, right? Like landlines, then like the, the little, like, uh, the, the, almost like the phone that you were just showing, like that kind of a cell phone was pretty close to my first phone. Right. Yeah. And when it had a camera, it was like, that's the coolest thing ever. Um, uh, because Prior to that, you have to actually get a digital camera. It was like a separate thing altogether. Um, I had a Walkman before that, right? Like a before the Walkman, I had the little cassette piece, right? So um, to to have all of these different devices all consolidated into one device was instantly awesome. And when uh, Verizon put out its Razer phone, I remember thinking that was the coolest thing ever. Um, I, I think it had Tetris on it. And I was so stoked to have Tetris and a camera and I would spend so much time texting my friends and everything like that. But at this point, you know what, I'm 17, 18, 19, 20, and I'm texting a lot. And then I started to realize like, okay, the people that I text a lot with are, I'm not having as good of like conversations with them in real life. And so I, over, over, over a few years, I started to kind of realize Oh, th th there's different qualities of relationships, and I didn't really have the theoretical, uh, conceptual apparatuses or perspectives to be able to, to really think about it yet. But I did get this kind of intuitive sense that I had spent too much time texting, and not enough time having what I was starting to call real conversations, and so that was the beginning of some like disillusionment for me. But at that point, it wasn't yet addicting in the sense that it has become for me. So I think that you're talking about how for you, it was kind of addicting out the door, right? At, a, at a, an extremely formative age. And so for me, it was like more gradual. And then when I became aware that it was becoming addicting, I was like, well, what, the, what what's going on here? And about the time that I started thinking that it was addicting, um, I was in college. And so, you know, I'd, I'm in college. Um, I've studied philosophy enough at this point to, to start thinking, oh, there's not just an inherent human nature that is the same in all societies throughout all time. Um, there is a human condition and that human condition 
is uh, contextual historically given material conditions and the, the dynamics in play uh, the, within the parameters of those material conditions. And the I think probably one of the most influential early works for me was Estranged Labor by Karl Marx and thinking about how a machine that takes over and consolidates and then so that you are kind of reduced into repetitive functions, relationship with the world through perception, like that brings, that mediates by bringing something present to us that wouldn't have been immediately present otherwise. And the way that a device or that a medium is able to re-present, to render present something that wasn't present, something that was absent, the changes um, the way that we think and the way that we perceive it and sets the parameters within which we will act and interpret. So the, 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 the ramifications of this are so profound that I'm at this point now where I go, you know, I think that we are in this period of time that will be talked about for hundreds of years. It'll, it, it will have its own special name in history classes and people will still be talking about the ramifications of this for as long as there is human history. Um, and so when people get too far ahead of themselves thinking, oh, well, we know what it is and it's fine, or we know what it is and it's bad. These are both thought terminating in a certain sense because it's like, sure, there's various ways that it's good and that it's bad, but we don't have the critical distance at this point to be able to really, to really know what it is or what its ramifications will be. And so what we do know though, is that uh, one of the main affects of being kind of caught up in the attention economy today is being very distracted, right? I think that that's one of the, one of the biggest ones is distraction. The other affect that tells us something is definitely going on is loneliness. So distraction, loneliness, anxiety. I'm gonna put up on the screen actually an article. It looks like the dangerous maybe is in the chat. Michael Downs posted this back in July of 2020 and it's called Millennials and Loneliness. It's cut off. I actually have to fix the screen here so you can see it. Hold on, let's fix the screen. There you go, now you can see it. Millennials and Loneliness, McLuhan and Levinas on the phone. This is a very short piece. It's a very powerful piece. And it's about how, um, say, put it this way, but like he and I both realized over the past 10 years how much more quality our relationships were with people that we were having phone calls with as opposed to people we were not having phone calls with. Um, and this is actually like important to understand from a theoretical perspective using McLuhan and Levinas for a couple of very important reasons. Um, Mikey, I wonder if you actually want to send us a voice message on Facebook Messenger. We could play it out over stream, basically giving the rundown of this article. And I, I actually, it, it's kind of like a perfect tie-in here, though. Um, one of the podcasts you've listened to a lot over the years, I don't think you really listen to it anymore, but um, the, the 
one of the hosts would complain, or was it both of the hosts would complain about phone calls, right? Yeah, the the host, I guess I won't necessarily name the podcast unless you think it's relevant, but these two hosts are like grown adults, have three children, and are just like, oh my gosh, I hate phone calls more than anything in the world. I will never have a doctor. Right. Social, yeah. No, you cut out for a second there. Um, you, you, for what, the doctor, what? Said, like they will never ever make a phone call or answer a phone call they hate it so much unless it's an emergency or the doctor for their kid if they need to call the doctor they won't do it like they'll use google or the internet they also you know complained about like they're in this intense social anxiety where they can't even like just going to fedex to send a package they're like oh my gosh i was the most anxious i've ever been having to talk to this employee and get a package sent and so you know it's not to to shame these people at all. I think that's kind of a common a common mood I see a lot uh, on social media and just within my own life and friendships and connections that I've made is this absolute crippling social anxiety of not liking to answer the door, not wanting to answer the phone, not feeling comfortable like asking for help at, at places of service. Like this just really like we, we don't know how to talk to each other anymore. Face to face or just through voice nowadays, you know, oh, I need to set an appointment. I'll just do it online on the online appointment center for the doctor or whatever oh i need to order food i'll just do it online oh like there's there's so much of these like kind of normal interactions that have been digitized that we're no longer in back in the united states where we go these days this is all this is a a, a continuous problem um it's always like the, the internet gets faster and faster supposedly but then it doesn't actually seem to have changed anything it's it, it gets faster, but it seems slower, right? Um, and that's in part because uh, the size of the files on the internet are always also being increased. So it's just like this arms race to make everything higher resolution and everything faster and faster, and it's, it becomes more and more expensive. And I, I, I know that everyone's just like, why is it speeding up so much? And a big part of it is because of capital, because Amazon loses like $100 million if it takes three seconds longer for the website to load, okay? It would cost me like an extra $1,000 to make the load times of my own website faster, okay? So speed becomes everything, right? Um, and obviously like a thinker like Virilia is very important for that today. Um, We'll be talking a little bit about the kinds of thinkers that we're drawing off of, and it's going to be kind of a mashup of um, popular works that are kind of in the vein of what Anne will be introducing in this stream as digital literacy, and then works that span philosophy, technology, media theory, and critical theory for thinking about um, the situation we're in today. So up on the screen here, and I don't think you can see it, but up on the screen here, I have the theory-underground.com forward slash waypoint page. And it's just my first book. Um, you're, you're able to get like, uh, you're able to access all of the chapters for free and you can listen to them read aloud for free here on my website. You just have to type in theory-underground.com forward slash waypoint. Um, and if you want the a copy of it, you just click here and then you can get the paperback for cheaper, way cheaper than it is on Amazon. It's like half, half the cost after shipping. So anyway, um, why am I showing you this though? Because chapter two of my book here 
is called, uh, sorry, this is not, that's chapter one. Chapter two is called Virtual in Framing, Heidegger, Levinas, and Critical Media Theory. This is where I first um, kind of present the term critical media theory. It's not my own coinage. Um, Mikey and I had been having conversations about stuff like his article, Millennials and Loneliness, McLuhan and Levinas on the phone, um, as well as this stuff that I'd been researching. Uh, and we'd, we'd been calling it philosophy of technology for a while, but then we that was kind of erasing the McLuhan influence, right? Um, so, and that's media theory, but, but McLuhan isn't like a Marxist. And in fact, if you read um, Understanding Media, his magnum opus, he kind of out the door says that Marxism is fundamentally undermined by his theory because it, it just shows that Marx got the base superstructure relation backwards. Um, or, or at least if he, if he didn't get it backwards at the time, the, the roles have reversed in order now. Um, and the thing is, is like, even if that's true, uh, there's so much that we can gain from a critique of political economy um, that so many uh, tools developed by Marx um, that that doesn't, that doesn't make it like, oh, well, he's into the, into the trash bin of history and now we've got McLuhan. Actually, we need McLuhan and we need Marx. And we also need Heidegger's The Question Concerning Technology. We need Hannah Arendt's The Human Condition, right? And I'm going to skip about a century here and then say to this current day, we've got authors like Byung-Chul Han writing books like Psychopolitics, In the Swarm, and uh, what's the other one that we might be drawing off of in this course? Burnout Society? What is it? Yeah, the Burnout Society. Burnout. Exactly. Yeah, the Burnout Society. Those kinds of books are all within the the field, the emerging field of critical media theory. And so really it's basically philosophy, technology, the, uh, media theory, and critical theory all kind of meeting, right? And the main question orienting my work is what's the good life? You know, what is subjectivity? Um, if the human condition is its parameters of possibility are, are shaped and set by the material conditions, then what are those material conditions uh, considering the fact that we are seeing rapid evolution or, or, or expansion and refinement of certain kinds of technology and media, right? So those are sort of the orienting questions for me going in. And what are the sort of orienting questions for you going into all of this? Um, and, and what, and how do you, what is digital literacy? How would, how is it defined and how would you define it? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think similar to you, one of my just kind of like questions that I've always cared about and, and I've allowed it to kind of guide my research, but is what is the good life? Like, what does it mean to, to live a good life, to, to self-actualize and to build yourself to be the best that you can be? And so, you know, regarding this course, some of the questions that I come in with are just how, what should our relationship with technology, social media, our cell phones, the internet look like? What are the pros? 
pros? What are the cons? That seems very, you know, basic, but I really want to dig into that and figure out how can we use it to build our relationships and how, in what ways do we need to, you know, separate ourselves and cultivate other aspects of our life that, that are fundamental to our values. Um, and so in, in terms of kind of what digital literacy means, I actually want to start by reading the Google definition of the word literacy. So literacy, Google just says the ability to read and write. So sure, like in that definition, most people are literate. Most people can read and they can write. But, you know, Dave and I have this conversation a lot, especially in terms of like thinking about being lifelong learners and readers and intellectuals and, and in this kind of world of, of doing underground theory, a term that Dave introduced to me a while ago was the term functional literacy or functional illiteracy. And so while a lot of people in society are literate in the sense that they can read and write, most people in the, at least in the United States can, or most people in Western civilization can, but they can't really sit down and read and digest a book and apply it to their life, apply it to their thoughts, apply it to their research, use writing to work out hard ideas. And so literacy versus, versus functional literacy is just how are you reading and writing? Are you just, oh, I read a book. Are you really thinking about that book and applying it to other concepts and, and using it to, to build new ideas and have real conversations? I think kind of in the vein of that article that you just put out, the right, the three principles of writing, like the Burt standard, the Mikey standard, the Brian standard, that is what true literacy looks like when we just talk about like reading and writing literacy, reading and rereading and being able to first explain it in your own words, then make connections and contrast it. And so digital literacy, the internet offers kind of a similar definition. If you look at the you know first sentence of the Wikipedia article for what digital literacy is, it says digital literacy is an individual's ability to find, evaluate, and communicate information by utilizing typing or digital media platform. It is a combination of both technical and cognitive abilities in using information and communication technologies to create, evaluate, and share information. So same thing. Digital literacy is being able to use digital technologies. Okay, my grandma can use the computer, you know? Like, like so in the same way that yes, the definition might be your ability to use it to communicate and create. But in in terms of this course, when we're talking about digital literacy, we're talking about your ability to incorporate it smartly or incorporate it wisely into your life, your ability to, to know when and how to use it, when and how to separate yourself from it, to kind of have a philosophy and a theory and values surrounding it. It's not just, do I know how to make a PowerPoint? It, it's, you know, why, it, it's understanding why you're using the technology, why you're using digital technologies versus other means. So so yeah, when we talk about digital literacy in the terms of this course, it's a lot deeper than just do you know how to use because I'm sure if you were to take like a community college class called digital literacy, they'd be teaching you how to use Word and Microsoft and PowerPoint and Sheets and all that stuff. But but this is is really like theorizing around it and having and having values within it and kind of understanding why we use it, how to use it to make our lives better as human beings. And so that's what we're going to explore in this class with not only the theoretical books and kind of the theory that we're going to be based in, but also the practical and more popular books that we'll be reading. That's a perfect setup for the next question, which is why a six-month course? Some people are going to be like, oh my God, that sounds like so much work. No, it's actually the opposite. We wanted to we wanted to approach this in a way that gives us 
the time to prepare for the lectures. We want to give people who are involved time to uh, do the readings and to reflect on things in a more meditative way that is less rushed. So, I mean, obviously I'm teaching other stuff while this course is going on. It would have been impossible otherwise. But I also, I need a structure, an accountability and assessment structure that will help me pace myself and stay mindful about all of the things that I'm involved in. And so this isn't just like a six months course. It's, it's, a, it's six months of meeting once per month. If you are going to be in the discussion group tier, then you will also have access to basically what will be like a monthly recovery group meeting. So, you know, if, I think that that's at tier two. Is that right, Anne? We can always double check. Either tier two or three. We'll go through them at the end. Of yeah. This. But the point, yeah, yeah, we'll do it then. But basically the, do I have it down here at the bottom? I do actually. So I can read off of here, but um, I think it might be tier three. Okay. So basically though, the discussion group is for people who are going to get a lot out of this, like they really need this and they also want to be able to talk for a couple hours per month with other people who are also processing this stuff. It's meant to be a small kind of intimate group. This is gonna be led by Anne and it's gonna be for people who are kind of a lot more interested in the recovery side of things. Now, I'm going to be uh, really encouraging people on the the writing side of things to to take opportunities to give yourself a space of solitude at least once a month to be able to do some writing reflections on the uh, it's basically journaling right but about the various experiments that we'll be trying out here at the underground and so what are some of the experiments that you that we will be that people will get to uh, try out over the course of six months. Yeah, I think some of the experiments are going to be, and that's part of why this course is going to be six months, is because these aren't just experiments that you do once and then you're done. These need to be experiments that you're trying over a two week to one month block. So after each lecture, we will we'll have gone through kind of the theoretical readings, we'll have gone through kind of the practical text, and then we will give you something to try for the month. And so that's going to be experiments like, you know, doing a, a digital detox in the style of of digital minimalism by Cal Newport or you know for a month observing your your phone usage and reflecting you know how does it make you feel or it'll be things like you know challenging you to take solitude versus solicitude which are concepts that we'll get into in this course a bit more seriously and and take some real solitude out in nature away from everything and everyone and just you and your thoughts and then the opposite challenge you to engage in some real solicitude by you know making a phone call or having a sit down conversation with someone and so things like that that are going to just really get you to implement some new some new things some new experiments into your life that just require time to schedule it to plan it because we know you have 
his busy life. You can't just go, I'm going to go on a six hour hike this weekend before the course. It's like you obviously we have busy lives. You need time to do that. But you also have to experiment. You have to be able to reflect. You really put yourself into the experiment and not just do, oh, I have to do this because I have to. But the challenge is and we hope that, you know, not only do we want to theoretically understand our our use of social media and technology and the and the media theory and digital literacy, but we want to practically, hopefully come out of this course feeling like we have a better handle on technology. You know, I talk about my own experience in a way that I think I've I've characterized it more and it's hyperbolic, but I say I feel like I'm a heroin I feel like I've been a heroin addict since the age of thirteen in the sense that I need this, I need this, I need it. Where is it? I need it on me. And I and I just feel like I can't escape every time I go, No, I'm done, I'm done. It's like a heroin addict needs or, or someone who's addicted to very addicting drugs needs like real rehabilitation and needs that real help. It can't be like, oh, I'm gonna stop doing this addicting drug. I feel like I've been trying that experience experiment my whole life. I'm gonna stop my addiction tomorrow. It doesn't work that way. And so the six month slow process of really implementing these things, really thinking about these things is hopefully going to help not only me, like I hope I come out of this with a better relationship and finally for the first time in the last, you know, ten years since I've really been hooked on this stuff of like freer feeling, feeling like I, I don't have this thing attached to my veins. But I hope that everyone can kind of come out with out of it with a, a newer and freer relationship to technology, whatever you feel like your vice may be. I think the the evidence, the the science, the data is very clear and we'll talk about some of that within some of these books is that these technologies were designed to be addictive in the same way that gambling is addictive or the same way like that some drugs are addictive. It's like I need it, I need it, I need it, I can't I can't live without it. it feels like it's pulling you, it's pulling you, like you don't have any control over it. So we're hoping to slow down, regain some control in a very critical manner. And so that'll be exciting. Yeah, and I actually, I want to clarify what we mean by slow down because it's easy to take that and because there's like a movement about slowing down, get it confused with the movement. Um, Ashley Frowley made a good point when we were uh, on the Sublation Media podcast. It was the patron side though, so a lot of people didn't see it. It wasn't like public or whatever, but um, she she interviewed us with uh, the homie Ted Reese in London when we were there last November. Um, but one of the things that she was talking about was about how slowing down um, becomes like this, people get this idea of almost becoming like, you know, Amish, probably not in terms of the religion or whatever, but you know, it's just change, you know, oh, we're, we're going to slow down. Yeah, but society's not going to slow down. These devices and their evolution won't slow down. For people who are looking forward to another, I, I don't know about like looking forward in the sense of excited about, but like looking forward into the future, you know, for another like 20, 30, 50 years, um, we've got to, I, I don't want to exclude people who aren't looking that far ahead. Some people are retired. They're basically like, well, I, I don't, I'm not looking that far off into the future. Okay. But for the rest of us though, who are looking that far off into the future, this stuff's not going to slow down anytime too soon. And so it's not about slowing down as an overall way of life, but it's finding and forcing um, the blocks of time into our month so that we can do deliberate kinds of practices. You know, when uh, Henry David Thoreau says at the beginning of the Walden book, he says that he went to the woods to live deliberately. 
right? It's so easy, even back then, uh, living in New England or wherever he was, to, to feel like, oh, the hubbub of the city life, it's just all frantic, go, go, go. You know, everything that was solid is melting into air in these sort of, these uh, labor extracting capital valorizing, you know, centers that we call cities. And, you know, if you're living in that, it's just, it's, it's intoxifying and like, you know, your desire and your drive is caught up in it in the kinds of ways that Michael Downs and Todd McGowan write about. And the, you know, we can't all just go to the woods to live deliberately, but we develop this new fantasy of, of, of that. And in a sort of sense, that fantasy becomes a part of the desire and drive structure within capitalism so that self-care itself has been commodified and you know self-care industries and practices like rise up though we're going to be deeply critical of the commodification and ideology of things like self-care um there's always something that's working or something fundamental about the human experience that is concerning that the industry in question is addressing um, and so for us, at least for me, you know, it's like, I'm not going to stop. I have to be on my computer at least every couple of days because the web development stuff requires constant care. If I leave the website for like a week, then the, the updates pile up and then things start getting all buggy and there's problems. So it's like the, the, the maintenance of a website alone requires constant care. The maintenance of a course requires constant care. And I already feel like, oh, I, I can't even keep up with all the conversations going on. So uh, the question is not one of disconnecting and, and, and just I will begin to live a slower life. I'm not going to. But there will be practices that I experiment with routinely and they will not always be the same practices because different experiments will turn out different and what works for one person might not work for another and what matters the most is not oh we found the tried and true lifestyle what matters is that we all develop a shared uh literacy in uh, uh tactics for coping with the changing conditions on the one side and the theoretical understanding of what it is to be and live and do things here and now moving forward to the future as opposed to how things used to be. And that's really why you have to have the theory and practice. It's, it's instead people who read uh, Heidegger's critique of, uh, sorry, question concerning technology and or uh, Marshall McLuhan's, you know, uh, not the medium, uh, what's it called? Understanding media. People who are reading these texts, first of all, they don't usually read both texts, right? They use, they read one or the other, um, or they read Virilio, right? Like people get little tastes of these thinkers, um, but they don't get a whole course focused on, okay, what does this thinker bring to the table? What does this thinker bring to the table? What does this thinker bring to the table? But if you, if you are that rare cat who did all of the above, the chances are you didn't read Sherry Turkle's Reclaiming Conversation. You didn't read Cal Newport's Digital Minimalism, right? 
you didn't read this other book that's that Anne's been drawing off of how to break up with your smartphone. Um, I, I, touching on the uh, w w the reclaiming conversation book. Sherry Turkle has a background in psychoanalysis. She's a social scientist. She's a psychologist as well. Um, she's also written some popular bestsellers. Uh, in her early days, she wrote about Lacan the politics of psychoanalysis. She was talking about the drama of being in France at the time of Lacan's ascendancy and all of the just the the the, the crazy politics of the of the scene at the time. Um, and then in her older years, she's written a lot more of these popular works that are meant to get people to think about like the impact of these devices now. And I just want to use a couple of examples just so people kind of have some things to think about after watching this. Like um, she talks about how the tendency is towards friction-free living, that the, the phone becomes an escape valve or an escape, an escape from any sort of awkward or kind of friction uh, dynamic that we might have in our lives. A perfect example of that being you walk into the elevator, oh my God, awkward, so you get on your phone, right? You're, you're sitting somewhere and then someone else is there, you don't know what they're doing, you don't know if you should say something, so instead you just get on your phone, right? Um, or you reach out to somebody and they don't respond to you. You wanted some kind of feedback and because you didn't get it, now you go to someone else and you go to someone else. You go to the, there, there's these various ways that we try to get our desires for attention immediately responded to. And that's what I was talking about yesterday in the stream when I was going into that new article on publications at Theory Underground, the one called the algorithmic stage, right? What does it mean to develop in a, in, in not in real time anymore. In real time, you have to wait for people to, to be around. You know, people process things and come back to you with more. But um, online, the, 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 they, they're trying to satisfy demand as fast as you have it, right? And so the, the normal waiting of real time is, in, in a lot of cases, cut out. So friction-free living. Yeah. yeah, go. Oh, I was just going to say within that, I think this is the concept that Sherry Trickle brings up, but that you would, like, we've also talked about is, like, being on call. Humans are now, we're on call all the time in the same way that, like, all brain surgeon or something, or some employees have to be on call for a certain period of time. We have now become on call to every single person ever. You know, where people are expecting an immediate response you check checking your email out outside of work respond to my text answer my phone call it's like we are just kind of constantly and i think we play into it too just constantly waiting oh someone messaged me i better get back to them as fast as i can so i think that kind of goes into the mm -hmm. there's never that is part of the friction at least for me and that's part of you know why i tried to experiment it has to always be available in case there's an emergency and someone calls me or someone needs me there used to be a time when we didn't have phones in our pockets all the time. Human resources, right? Human, we talk about the, you know, trees are now just resources. We don't see trees as trees. We see trees as cellulose, you know? Obviously, all of these, um, all of these, you know, demographics that are being exploited by markets are 
almost all through the same devices. And these devices, part of how they work is they sell us this, this idea or this feeling of friction-free living, which offers us speedy escape. Humans have always looked for ways to escape from things, right? And there are some ways of escaping that are more destructive and there are some that are less destructive. But this idea of friction-free living and the comfort zone, I just want to leave you with one concrete practice or experiment that you can use, whether or not you decide you want to take the course. Um, uh, the one thing that I want you to think about trying if you're watching this is what Sherry Turkle calls the 10-minute rule. The 10-minute rule, she says, it's part of like developing or, yeah, what the title of the book, Reclaiming Conversation. When people sit down at a table together nowadays, the tendency is to want to whip out the phone. Oh, we're all together now. We're going to whip out the phone. Okay. Study after study after study have shown that this makes people highly distracted, anxious, and that if you pull out your phone, then other people want to pull out their phone, and the quality of the conversation goes down. The phone should be put over there. It shouldn't be at the table. Okay. Right, even just having the phone on the table. I think studies also show that if you're studying or trying to do work, just having the phone on the table in your eyesight like changes your what how you're feeling and, and changes your relation to the work that you're doing or the conversation that you're having in that moment. Exactamente. And so the 10-minute rule um, is meant to counter the impulse, right? The on the one side, I just put out an article about the fuck it button, right? If you have writer's block and I talk about the various reasons you might have writer's block, one of the the concrete things that you can try, I talk about the, the, the fuck it button. And I have a whole story about where the term, why the term, why I really like that term. But the opposite of the fuck it button is the cool down. And the fuck it button is what you use when you need some more courage to do something when you are feeling when, when you're when you're getting too too introspective and 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 neurotic to just get something done that you should probably do like like for i i do it when i send emails um i write out an email and then i'm like oh no it, it can take so much time to really fine tune an email what i try to do is be like it's good enough and then i just i send it Okay, if, it's, if there's a mistake in it and the person really cares, then I don't want to work with them anyway. All right? That, that, the, we can't have that attitude about everything. And part of the reason is because we also do a lot of things impulsively, right? And so um, if, you are, if you have a tendency to do certain things impulsively, then those are the things to apply a cool down to. The 10-minute rule fits within the 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 cool down side of things which is to say if you're sitting at the table and somebody is boring or there or you feel anxious cuz you you've tried to have a conversation and it's not really going anywhere and you don't really this person is not immediately entertaining Sherry Turkle talks about how the inter, the the phone has taught us to 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 basically think if a person's not immediately entertaining or interesting to us then whatever, and now we're on to, you know, back to the phone. Um, so in that moment of either anxiety or boredom, she says, give it 10 minutes and just be with them. Just be present. 
It doesn't even have to go anywhere. Nothing has to come of it. But at least give yourself and give the other person 10 minutes, right? Because it can take a little while to, we're all in this, right? We're all in this and we all need to cut each other a break. And if we don't give our ourselves that time to breathe, that time to be with one another, uh, we're not just fucked. Like our relationships are fucked, right? If we're not getting genuine time with ourselves, then we're not getting genuine time with each with others, right? And so that's genuine time with oneself is is solitude. Genuine time with others is solicitude, right? This is the virtuous circle uh, between those two things that breaks down when we go to our phone the moment we get bored in a bedroom or on the couch or with a loved one, right? You're, you're robbing yourself of opportunities to be with others. You're robbing yourself of opportunities to be with yourself. And developing a relationship with yourself is going to be one of the themes of the because writing is a very important part of thinking. Writing is a very important part of knowing oneself. It's a very important part of living the examined life. And writing should not always be done for Facebook walls and Twitter feeds. And writing should not always be done with others in mind. It shouldn't always be done to please a teacher. And some people might have had a really good relationship to writing at one point in their lives and they've kind of lost it. That's also one of the things to think about not trying to reclaim all at once like, oh, now I'm going to get a typewriter and go up into a cabin and I'm going to write books now. No, but like you don't have to do everything from your phone. You can take a notepad out on a walk. And if there's some thoughts that won't go away, then you just write them down and then you keep walking and see what comes of it, right? So that was the... The 10 minute rule and the idea of taking a notepad on a, on a walk are the two main things that I wanted to leave people with before we turn to the part about uh, how to sign up and the logistics, when the course is going to be happening and all of that kind of stuff. But is there any kind of like things that you're still thinking about and that you would want to tie in before we switch gears? Yeah, I think just one thing that I wanted to touch on as to, you know, why, why is this course pressing to us? Because we kind of talked about, well, why we care about it, how our lives have been affected, but why do it right now? And I think you can talk about maybe why you feel that it fits into the, the first year of Theory Underground courses and why you think it is a base. But for me, not only do I think it's also important to kind of have this basis in this like Theory Underground network and community, especially when, you know, David developed basically a new social media network that is kind of utilizing the, the gamification so you can kind of touch on that oh hold on one second I, hold yeah. on I'm sorry um, you see this as one of the most and then you cut out let's just hold oh, on okay. for, hold on for one second though we're gonna um, I let's bookmark that and let the internet do its thing it's dipping for a second I think we're, I think we're good now. Okay, cool. Um, I was just saying that I see this as kind of one of the most pressing issues of our time, especially, I muted myself there, 
especially with the rise of artificial intelligence, with the rise in remote work, with this, you know, VR becoming more of a thing. Like we just met uh, a friend of our, some of our friends who live in Finland and we were all eating, eating dinner and this guy was telling us about how his younger brother is now obsessed with like spending his time like in the VR world. Like it's finally here. You can go hang out with friends in the VR world. You can go on battles. You can do you can do all sorts of things. You know, anything that you can imagine it's happening in the VR world. Anything. And that is like the scary. I think that is the most terrifying, scariest thing that people are not having face-to-face conversations that we can now just literally sit in our rooms and waste away and our eyes get brain get all burnt out from the from the blue light. I mean, even just seeing families out at dinner and the parents are scrolling on their phone and the kids have a YouTube video on, that makes me more sad than anything. You know, so I think we just are kind of getting to the point now where new technologies and they're really cool and they obviously can be used for really good reasons some people might need them there's a lot of of benefits but like more and more technologies are being introduced and you have you know older generations who are starting to use these things you have younger generations like me who've grown up with this stuff all their life and then you have parents who didn't grow up who didn't get introduced to this stuff at such a young age who are now introducing these technologies and screens to kids even younger than I was when I first was like really you know we had TV in the house. We had computer games, but now, you know, with ta- with iPads, I, I nannied for a six-year-old um, a few summers ago, and he had unrestricted access to a Nintendo Switch and could watch whatever YouTube videos he wanted, and he was watching some things, and I'm like, oh, why are you watching this? Like that, so now we're going to, you know, in 10 to 20 years, we're going to see the effect of what happens when we introduce even younger kids between the ages of three and seven to these technologies and unlimited access to the attention economy and what that does to their brains and their learning and their relationships. So I just see it as like not only a really pressing issue because yeah, just in a time that we we need each other more than ever, we need relationships more than ever. There's so many barriers in our way. And so we really need to like theorize that and hypothesize or not hypothesize, but we really need to theorize that and think about that and and hopefully learn some lessons and, and kind of figure out how to have better relationships with this so that we can in turn have better relationships with each other in our community but something else I think to to think about that I just wanted to mention that because I talked about this with you Dave a few days ago but when we are going to talk about uh, books like influence and kind of talking about the influence of advertising especially I think we have to think about the ways in which technology is like creating uh, for ourselves but I think we have to think about like climate change and the state of our planet and something that I recently saw was that there's the best relationships that we can for the longest amount of time that we can in this in this weird polarized messed up world like we have each other as you know cliches it sounds like we have each other we need each other we got to figure that out so yes thank you thank you yeah the advertising and propaganda side of things is actually one that we haven't touched on but it will be the focus of one of the one of the months will be a focus on that we will be talking about the various ways that advertising has developed over the last 50 to 70 years we'll be talking about edward bernays we'll also be talking about prop, uh, propaganda we'll be talking about chomsky but we'll be be beyond that talking about the ways that you know what started with bernays or chomsky has developed 
into modern um, big data farming and algorithmic desire-centered modes of advertising and propaganda and how propaganda moved from a mainstream general consensus, there's a status quo and you can be against the status quo and that's the general left position to actually both, both the, now the status quo maintains itself through a duopoly, right? And that that duopoly maintains itself through scapegoating the other and through, through fostering an image of the other that gets scapegoated. And so that's where you develop like the, the, the understanding of the modern propaganda model not being one of like this general status quo, but instead of being a duopoly, right? It's no longer the monopoly model, it's the duopoly model. And we'll be, use, we'll be using Bo, uh, Baudrillard for that, but we'll also be reading Hate Inc. For that, so we've just got a lot of a lot of fantastic uh, sources that we'll be getting into. Yeah, there it's are be some. Good, folks. It's gonna be good. There are some. There are some comments that I want to address in chat before we close out. But uh, really quick, I just want to say, in response to the other thing that you had asked me to touch on, though, because Theory Underground is a coarse-gated social media site which means that there are going to be tiers of involvement that are unlocked by people who basically achieved um, uh, or, or, or initiated into various uh, discourses, right? Um, this is definitely something that we want to talk about. Yes, gamification is killing us, but it's also the reason that I stay on my Spanish learning with Duolingo, right? Gamification can be good and figuring out, at least for people like me, and that's the thing is like, I, I, at the end of the day, Theory Underground needs to serve people like me. And what I mean by that is like, if I'm not learning and if it's not able to keep me coming back uh, and it doesn't keep me fresh in the various fields that I want to be thinking in and teaching and learning and writing about and, and, and exploring for the rest of my life or at least the next five years, then... Uh, that it's not going to work because it has to work for me first, right? Um, but I also want it to work for the people that I consider fellow travelers. And for the people that we've been – so far, uh, I, th I think some people are getting a lot out of it. Some people are very new to all of this, right? This is the, the first experiment of mine that they are involved with and some people like it. Um, not everything that we do will always be your cup of tea, but it is all a big, it is all a part of a much bigger puzzle that I've been uh, trying through various ways to experiment with over the last 10 years. And this whole conversation about critical media theory comes out of like talks that I was giving at, you know, Duquesne University or University of Hawaii um, or I also gave a talk on this topic uh, in Argentina, right? Like uh, seven years ago, right? I was talking about these things at conferences. And back then, there was a lot more denial still, a lot, a, a lot less acknowledgement of its addictive nature or of how it might be impacting relationships. I would give a talk in front of like, you know, 30 to 50 academics, depending on the venue. And 
a lot of these academics are boomers. They would raise their hands and say defensive things that I had already preempted. Like, well, just because it can be this way doesn't mean it's bad. I led off by saying, I literally led off the talk by saying, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying the only bad thing is to not think about what are the tendencies and dynamics in play here. It's only bad if we're ignorant, right? The, the goal is, as Heidegger says in the question concerning technology, to come into a freer relation with technology. And Andrew McLuhan just put out an article. Uh, Andrew McLuhan is uh, the grandson of Marshall McLuhan. He just put out an article on the, the McLuhan Institute substack um, a couple weeks ago about how McLuhan was optimistic. He, you know, he has his various kind of pessimistic moments, but he was overall optimistic because he does believe in the power of education and of people to be able to kind of, to, to be able to come into this freer relationship. So McLuhan was also keen on that. Now, you don't have to be optimistic and you don't have to be a part of the recovery group. If you just want to do the pure theory and you aren't really convinced in a lot of the more self-help related kinds of things, cool. I hope you keep an open mind. Um, I do think that it's inherently worthwhile. Um, but for me and what works for me and why I need it, I need this going in here with the first year of Theory Underground is because, look, I'm teaching a course on being in time. That is going to demand so much. I'm building a website and an app at the same time. That requires so much. I'm still in this For They Know Not What They Do course. The What Is Sex course with Alenka Zupancic, uh, or I'm sorry, well, she is technically going to make an appearance in the course, but and that's new news, by the way. But uh, no, no, it's not with her in the sense, it's her book. It's with Cadell Last. I'm doing all of these things while also like working on Underground Theory Volume 1 and uh, these marathon streams and a countrywide tour. And, you know, I'm 35 years old now. Uh, this is the first year of operations for my newest experiment, Theory Underground. It's a very big year. It's so much going on and it requires so much effort. And I love it and it makes me feel alive. Uh, and, it, and it's a genuine challenge that I'm seeing, new challenges every day. But I also need to force myself to be reminded to think about the virtuous circle between solitude and solicitude. I need to be reminded to go touch grass, to go swimming, to go working out. Like the, 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 we know what we need to do, but we also need reminders and we need accountability and assessment structures. And because currently uh, we're living outside of any of these like normal, we're not in an institutional environment. We're not, we're, we're not in a university. We're not in a school. The gamification um, and, and kind of building our own structure, the goal is not to, to replace so much for building your own structure, right? I have no pretenses that this is going to replace anything. But the point is, is to mitigate the effects and tendencies um, of the attention economy and of all of these other forms of media and to come into a freer relation with them. Hopefully by using the tools that are at our disposal, the humans are still experimenting with and it'll never be perfect, but we'll have an ongoing conversation about it. And uh, the people who take this course are going to have a basis in the texts 
in in the concepts in the in the in the various practices that they can experiment with and that means that they will be initiated into the forum that is dedicated to this stuff and that means that future courses that might bring in future cohorts about this stuff will will we'll all be bringing people into the same area. And so it'll be like people get to get initiated into an ongoing conversation, an ongoing experiment. And I just think that that's really exciting. And it's one of the parts that I look forward to the most, because when we do this tour across the United States this fall, we're gonna meet a lot of people and we're gonna be giving lectures in various uh, cities across the states talking about stuff like this. And there are people will be attracted to this who aren't even into normal theory. They're gonna come in because they're lonely and they're thinking about their smartphone and then they're gonna find out about the theory side of things. And some people who need something new to challenge them are gonna get hooked on theory. And so I'm, we're really excited about all the possibilities there. So I think that that basically sums up the, the why you know, or the, the how, the, the why this has to be this year and how this stuff applies to Theory Underground as its own sort of gamified social media site. But let's pull up on the screen here the, uh, the site really quick. We'll, we'll talk about, uh, yeah, like let's see if I can actually get it up on the screen. Here, let's, I'm gonna switch it over so that we're gonna go, I'll show everybody how to do it. Okay, I'm using a different browser than I normally use. And you'll be able to see it now. I'm gonna put, put, see the, uh, what it looks like when you're not logged in, right? So if you just go to theory-underground.com and then you go to courses. You click on courses right there. You can see all of these courses. Now, one of the problems with putting price tags on things is that some people will automatically feel like it has excluded them on the basis of class, which is something that I am highly sensitive to. Not, I'm not sensitive to certain trolls who talk about such things, but I am sensitive to the reality of the situation as a person who has been excluded from courses in the past. I take that very seriously. Um, first of all, I do believe that if you pay for something, then you care about it more. I think that that just there is something there that that, that is real. But also, we have to we have to find a way to make this a financially feasible operation. And until we get somebody who's going to start giving me like $50,000 every couple of months, um, this is basically going to be the, the way that we move forward. Um, but we've added tiers of involvement so that there's always like the lowest tier, which gives you basic access to the course, to the recordings, to the forum, etc. It doesn't give you lifetime access to the forum, um, uh, but it but it does give you access throughout the course, and the then always tier two with all of these um, gives you everything from tier one. But it's a way of saying that you are doing longer term buy in, that you're trying to support the overall project a lot more, um, and then all the tiers from there up 
have to do with our time and our energy. So it's going to cost a lot more to have one-on-one time with me. If I was being paid a salary by an academic institution so that I could have office hours every Tuesday and Wednesday, and then you could just drop by my office hours, well, then that would kind of take care of that. But because, you know, that gets taken for granted as well, right? People, they take it for granted. But when you actually set up to say, no, I really want your critical feedback, Dave, and you're, you're going to pay for that higher tier because you want that critical feedback, well, then I'm going to take it seriously. When I was teaching at the university, something that I found profoundly irritating was putting a lot of work into grading people's papers and then knowing that most of those papers were not even going to be, like they weren't going to look at my, my, my notes, right? But some students really do want a very thorough reflection uh, or critical, they want thorough critical feedback on whatever it is that uh, you, you think of, of, their, of their work because they're trying to get better. And I want to respect that. I want to make that available. Um, and so the money thing, though, it's not perfect. It's not a perfect way of, nothing's perfect, but it definitely can help us figure out, uh, I'm just sorry, I'm, I'm like trying to f- fix this window, but it like does this thing where it like pops up. Every time I put my mouse towards the top, it, it glitches out and then I can't grab it. Okay. I, I guess I can grab it there. Sorry, that distracted. But um, yeah, I want to make it so that people are able to do that. So yeah, as you can see, we've got a bunch of courses here. Um, some are ongoing, some are past. You can still take the past courses. They're still available. And the upcoming courses are What is Sex? Being in Time Division One, and Digital Literacy and Critical. Click on it because this is underground shit and not Amazon. It will take a little while to load. Be proud that you're you doing something. You lost $100 million. I just lost on <laughs> I just lost all. We're going to have to actually raise the price of this course by $100 million to recoup what we just lost. Um, yeah. And actually, the, the, the main question that is not answered on the front page here or on the thumbnail itself that, sh- that needs to be addressed is when we're meeting, which will basically be the middle Sunday of every month for six months starting in May. And by middle Sunday, there's really never a perfect middle Sunday. Um, What we mean is um, May 14th, June 11th, July 9th, August 13th, September 10th, and October 15th. Okay? And the... The... uh, the time will be 9 a.m. That real- What's that? Is that just the second Sunday of every month? Is that always the second? Is it? It Maybe. probably is. It probably is the second. Cool. Maybe that, that would make it really easy if it's always the second, but I don't. No, no. Wait. No. Wait. I think so. Good catch. Okay. Thank God. Okay, and you're amazing. Yeah. No, it's just the second Sunday of every month, and it's at 9 a.m. Pacific time, uh, 6 p.m. or 12 p.m. Eastern time, 6 p.m. Central European time. 
So this will be probably the only, one of the only courses at Theory Underground this year that is pretty conveniently available for people in Europe to join. Okay, so if you click the take this course button, it'll take another thousand years to load. Oh my God, it says it looks like you got lost. What? Oh, and how about you talk about things for a second while I fix that? Sure. Um, what the, sorry, there's like a loud train. What, what, what do you want me to talk about? Um, how about you talk about chat? There's, a, there's definitely some stuff sure. we want to touch on from chat. Good idea. Looks like Dave just needs some basic digital literacy over here, like the boomer definition. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, let me pull up the chat. What do we got here? From the beginning. Nice setting sun background. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Good job. Oh my God, we don't have to be comprehensive. <laughs> Dave representing for us millennials. LOL, I remember the razor. Remember having to pay per text like 10 cents each from Descon? Wow, can't really. <laughs> no, that's. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just crazy to see like how it's all progressed and like the generational differences that we're seeing and that we're going to see. Adam says, I never thought about the fact that went through puberty on social media, AOL. Yeah, for real. Like we all have this experience of like growing up with a certain technology, going through puberty on a certain technology. And so it'll be interesting to compare boomers versus millennials versus Gen Z versus like the kids who, I don't know, are they Gen Z? The kids who are like four years old who have tablets right now? I don't know. They've put them in a new category, but these categories are, are made up. Are they in a new up. category now? Yeah. Uh, really, we can only talk about people who experience certain media, certain mediums over a period of time. It, you know what I mean? Like, you can't draw it. You can't just draw it on it. But yeah, but yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think people under the age of four right now get counted. Yeah. Let's see, we got Adam. Oh, where did it go? Who said, imagine how fucked we'd have been had they managed to algorithmically curate our phone calls. Oof. That would not be good. Defcon said, burnout culture. Yep. Salamun de Costa. Hey, ho, hello. Hi. Hello. Media literacy does not mean, can you read or do you know? publisher has interest yeah exactly it's it's like really understanding the media or the technology or whatever it is and that's what we care about here at theory underground doing underground theory re requires functional literacy and functional digital literacy not just oh you you've uh CN Den what oh you cut out for a second Oh, I will. Uh, I will actually. Asian Dan. I was trying to read that as one word. Oh yeah, secret I was Asian like, Dan. Secretation Dan. <laughs> secret Asian Dan. Hello. Says the more I think about it, media literacy may be underdeveloped, but the ultimate cause is lack of ideological self-awareness. For sure, that's what 
we're hoping to do here some self some self awareness, some cultural awareness, develop the media literacy. It'll be good. Ideological self awareness is a precondition for media literacy. How can you have critical view of media and its presuppositions if you're not aware of your own presuppositions? Exactly. Let me get to the bottom of the chat here. Yeah. Ver VR world, the blow up doll expanded into an apparent reality. Yep. Oh <laughs> exactly. For real. Terry Gilliam finale for his dystopian trilogy, Brazil, 12 Monkeys, Zero Theorem, has a scene where there's a party where everyone is glued to their very large display personal devices, really iPads. Yeah, I think like we're also seeing a lot more media, like TV shows, movies exploring this technology and the ways that it can be used that are really scary. Like, I don't know if anyone saw the movie Don't Worry Darling that came out in the last year with Florence Pugh and Harry Styles, directed by Olivia Wilde. The movie itself was like, weird and confusing at times but oh can i spoil it i'm gonna spoil this movie y'all so if you haven't seen it this is your warning but there's you find out at the end because basically the concept of this movie is that everyone's living in like this perfect like 50 styled world where all the women are housewives and all of the men work for this company and everyone's very happy but then things kind of start to glitch out and one woman like goes crazy and is like, we're not supposed to be here. And so then it's like Florence Pugh having all these weird experiences and figuring out what's going on. Well, you find out that actually these people are living in just like a city in the modern era. And the Harry Styles character is actually like some like internet incel type of guy who it kind of his relationship with his partner is estranged. And so he finds this new technology and he where he basically captures like so all these men are captured like take their wives as hostages and put them into this vr world and they're just like prisoners and slaves like lying on their bed and their eyes are being like scanned into this vr world this digital world and that again that was like the scariest part of the whole movie for me was oh my gosh they're using technology in this way like i also just read a book about kind of vr technology that kind of almost out of our bodies and into new experiences so we're seeing the the you know all of this new technology being explored in fiction and and i think that can also be a really powerful way to raise them like for i don't want to necessarily call it critical media theory or digital literacy but like raising some sort of consciousness and some sort of awareness of by really exaggerating the alienating effects of this technology or showing like the extreme example of something that doesn't exist quite yet but very well could and how what that does to relationships in ourselves so i think there's definitely a place in this conversation for like stories i think a lot many of the books that i have kind of been going through to prepare for this class mention orwell you know 1984 mention uh huxley in what what the book uh Amusing ourselves to like, death. No, it's, oh, it's like a new world. very important book that I should have read in in high school that I didn't. Brave New World. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, so like, there's a lot of fiction too from the past and nowadays that are kind of exploring these concepts and 
maybe you know we'll 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 bring those up within our courses just as examples but that's something good too and i think reading just reading novels dave and i were just talking about this like reading a book i think it's just for like pleasure it's such a good way to resist the attention economy rather than oh i've just had a really long day at work oh i just need to scroll and do something else it's like read a book like any book it can just be an easy a classic because reading a hard theory reading something like being in time is kind of a different purpose than just like just read a novel or go on a walk you know do something doing something to resist the attention economy that's saying oh you're feeling tired come come to me i'll help you i'll make you feel connected and give you insights into the world like no novels and books can also give you that insight so not a part of our class right now but important nonetheless i would argue i uh, cool, you got it worked out i got it i got it fixed cool. so um now it, and by the way that's one of the nice things is like if uh you know if i had a bunch of if this was like an institution and there was like a whole hierarchy of people working to keep this thing going and it wasn't a one-person show then I would have had to submit a ticket to get that fixed. And that could have been anywhere between like a few hours and a couple of days turnaround. And if it was something that involved multiple people, then it could have been a few days. So, uh, you know, every time that there's problems with this website, like when there was a mistake in the syllabus, and some of you pointed that out recently for a different course, you know, yes, that there are problems that come with me doing everything, but there's also awesome things that come from it. like. All right, it's already solved. So um, if we click the button, take this course, it should now work. No, <laughs> did it work? What the hell? Uh, oh, I get it, I see why. Watch, watch, watch. I'll have it fixed in no time, damn it. Okay, now it should. Gosh, dang it. No, I, I know what it was though. But let's see. Let's try now. Click take take this course. What is going on? Really? Here, I'm testing it from my end too. Yeah. Oh, I gotta plug this thing in. Cause it's work it looks like it's working. Let me uh click update on this others oh, I gotta go there's two areas of the back end of WordPress where I had to change the URL because they were not in agreement. And I thought I clicked update in both of those places, but I might have not clicked update in both of those places. So I hope that that's all that the problem is. Okay, let's try one more time. Elevator music. There we go. It worked. All right. We're, we're back in business, everybody. All right. So from here, it automatically will show you tier two. And you can click this tier thing and you can go to tier one. You can go to tier three. Each one has its own dedicated image. How cool is that? Tier four is the one that would be, it would involve like one-on-one -on -one Zoom calls, 
uh, with me, um, going over your, your reflections and your final project. Um, tier three is the one for the discussion group. For like the re it's like, this is going to be a bit more like a recovery group experience, and that will be facilitated by Anne. Um, tier five, um, if you are a patron to this course, uh, or to, to Theory Underground, if you're a $50 patron to Theory Underground, then you can access um, tier five for $50, which gives you the benefits of tier one for basically $50, okay? Um, because you have a special coupon that would give you that discount of, uh, or you, if you do, if you aren't a $50, uh, subscriber and you want the $50, uh, benefits, but you want to just pay all at once and get some extra benefits, then you can just pay $600 for this course. And then you get a bunch of other stuff unlocked with that as well. You can just read the fine. So then basically for one year from the date that you purchase it, every time you want to sign up and for the patron benefit, like it basically gives you all the patron benefits without having to do like the monthly payment. You just pay in advance and then you get the $50 access to tier one for every course. And then do you also get the patron code for mm -hmm, mm -hmm. discount? Yeah, then you get the patron discount for the other tiers. Right. The patron discount for tiers, the, the, the patron discount for tiers two through three or tier two through four are... It's always 35% off for tiers two through four. Uh, so two, three, and four. So um, that's because people who are going to pay $50 a month, like loyal, like patrons, like my God, you make such a big difference and we want to do everything we can to else. Uh, someone said this to me very recently. That's why it's so oddly specific. They were actually canceling with, uh, with, with ContraPoints um, and was like, uh, I would love to put that towards you, but, uh, you know, you only have a $50 tier and it's like, yeah, it's, that's because I, in the very first few months of theory underground, I just really wanted to make it clear that small donations will not be enough to make this operation happen because this isn't just a single individual doing video essays or some streams online. It's not gonna, it's not going to be enough to do small donations because I'm not trying to reach a hundred thousand people. It is a smaller thing for the first few years. People are like, what about the working class? What about me? What about you? What about workers who learn how to articulate things on their own? We, to, people always want to jump from zero to 80 in like such a short period of time. And it's like, for me, it's like, no, we got to give ourselves time to get our footing. And if you're trying to think about reaching masses, it's like, look, this is, this is philosophy and theory. Most people don't care about philosophy and theory. And the people who do just want to post memes about it or watch videos online. They're, how many people are actually taking the call to like read stuff that's difficult? Um, at this point, it's not as many as it will be. Uh, and so I really wanted to push the idea that the most helpful thing is going to take a lot more buy-in because we actually need $50 subscribers. Okay. If Bert who's on, I also understand why people aren't doing that. Uh, I understand why you wouldn't do that. And I do want to make it so that there are other ways to participate because back in the day when I was doing stuff, people would buy me coffee or pizza or 
help me out with one of my specific bills or whatever through Patreon or Venmo or whatever. And that's helpful and it makes a really big difference. And especially right now when this is the only way that we're doing anything. But I really wanted people to realize that more than your patronage, I want you to take courses. And if you only take one course in a year instead of all of the courses, but you really take it seriously, then that's going to matter more than anything else. So uh, with all that said though, if you've followed to this point in the stream, if you are still with us now, then there is this new thing called a coupon code. It's not new, it's, it's very common in the, on the internet obviously, but now this website has that feature. If you click add to cart for say tier one here, it's a hundred bucks, you go to you. There's a coupon code now that you can use until Wednesday of next week. The coupon code is Early Bird CMT. CMT is for Critical Media Theory. Early Bird CMT until April 12th. That's the coupon code. I'm going to share it in the chat, and it is my our gift to you all for uh, being here as long as you have been. So thank you. Dan says, I like how the 404 has party confetti. Yeah, for real. It's pretty cute, isn't it? It have like sad faces, tears, lightning bolts, rain clouds. Yeah, I had the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, use that, use that coupon code for, I think it's 25% off and uh, you should be good to go. All right, we're about to close out the stream. I wanna give everybody an opportunity to say their goodbyes, ask any final questions uh, for clarification on anything. And Anne, do you have any closing thoughts? I guess my closing thoughts would just be this course I think is going to be different than some of the other courses on Theory Underground as we kind of touched on, but I think it's going to be a really cool uh, ex experiment and experience because I think it's going to give us a chance to really connect some of this stuff to our own life and what we're seeing in our society and culture, as well as theorizing and talking about some of the theory that gets left out of the conversation and the sphere of technology, social media, advertising, propaganda, all of that good stuff. And so I just really hope that you are uh, Sign up for the course at whatever tier works for you. Uh, it's going to be really cool. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a challenge. Uh, the experiments are going to be something that you're not normally offered in, you know, a normal university course or even in a theory underground course. The, the assignments are write a reflection, do a final project. You're going to be getting to actually implement stuff into your life, everyday life for, for weeks at a time, really reflect and hopefully we'll just build a nice little community of people who care about the good life, who care about technology, who care about each other and relationships. And I'm looking forward to it. So thank you all for listening. Thank you all for giving us your time, give, giving us your time. Thank you for giving me your time and have a great night. Yeah, or day, I don't know what time it is for people. <laughs> Wherever you are in the world, whether you're watching this right now 
or finishing it because you were just speeding up through the live stream or you're watching it in the near future or five or ten years from now. You know, say hello in the comments. Let us know that you watched it. Um, we always wonder how many of those views are real, you know. But if five people watch it all the way through and it does something for them, then that matters more than anything else, you know. So just let us know. And we hope to see some of you in the course. And with that, we're going to say goodbye. I'll roll the US tour ad because it is coming. We will be coming to a city near you. And if our if your city is not on the tour, I haven't added some of the new places like Pittsburgh and Chicago yet. But if your if your city's not on this tour, then it could be. It could be. All it takes is somebody who's got a library card at a, a town or city and wants us to come and says, hey, look, I don't know how much of an audience there is for what you're doing, but I can at least give you a venue because we're not paying for random venue. We were broke. We're doing this underground style. If you've got a garage that's set up like a, like a social space, like we got a friend who hosts like a film club movie night once a month in his garage. If you've got a space that you can host an event in, um, then reach out to us. It's quite possible that we will add your town or city as a stop along the way uh, so that we can do something because we're not interested in meeting everybody in the world. We're interested in meeting people who are already watching this stuff, who are already in some way a fellow traveler of Theory Underground, who are looking to take it to another level. And you might be surprised and actually meet some people in your local area. So, all right, take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Peace out. attempt to bring in new people to the world of philosophy and theory while building on relationships already established, we are doing a countrywide tour of the United States this fall. What's up, guys? It's Anna Dave. Are we coming to a city or a town near you? Do you think there is a venue or audience in your local region that would be interested in a lecture or facilitated discussion about existentialism, critiques of therapism, PMC ideology, self-help, introduction to philosophy, or the time-energy critique of any of those things. This speaking and discussion facilitation tour will include the Pacific Northwest in mid-August, the Kansas City, Missouri area late August or early September, Philadelphia at the beginning of October, and really we're going to be all over the area there, hopefully, so get in contact with us if you think that we should come visit your state, Phoenix, Arizona, mid-October, and SoCal, especially San Diego, late October. I say especially San Diego because we already have our guide for the San Diego region. What's the difference between a host, a guide, and a volunteer, you ask? Well, thanks for asking, actually. The volunteer role is for people who want to put up posters or in other ways promote the events that will be occurring in their town or city. Whereas the host might have a guest bedroom, guest house, or a place that we can park our van. 
so that we can sleep in our van. We need to know if you would have like bathroom facilities or anything like that. And so the form on the website is where you can tell us what you have to offer. Guiding on the other hand though, people who love to guide take a lot of pride in their local knowledge. A good example of that would be Michael Downs when I visited him in Raytown, Missouri. And he took me into Kansas City and we had barbecue and he took me to the mall and to all these other landmark places from his life growing up there. Um, but a more recent example would be my friend Michael in Poland who took us around Katowice, Poland and basically gives a historical and sociological analysis of everything. And it was amazing. It was, it was one of the coolest things we've ever experienced. And it made us realize some people just want to provide the space and privacy, whereas other people want to take you out and show you around. And so if you're interested in being a volunteer, host, or guide, we have a special form for that. So please fill out your information and uh, get in contact with us as soon as possible so we can fit you into the schedule because we'll love to meet you, touch base with the local community. And if you don't think anyone else in your area is interested in the things that you're interested in, if you don't think anyone else is into this stuff, well, we might be able to surprise you. When I saw that poster, Bolgrillard in Boise fucking Idaho, are you kidding me? It was virtually an, an answer to an unspoken prayer, you know, really was. And I just couldn't believe that somebody was interested in the things that I was interested in, that I had been interested in for years and had kind of given up on in, in futility. I'd labored in solitude for so long, I had no one to talk to about it, no one to bounce ideas off. This tour is going to bring together a lot of people who want to be based in text with the people they're in conversation with. And yeah, I think it's going to be a fantastic year. The only other thing that I want to say is that Michael Downs' first book is going to be published by Theory Underground really soon here. I've got another book coming out really soon here. These books will be spread throughout the United States on this tour. So I'm hoping to be able to do some actual book launch events at various bookstores. Outside of that, I guess the last thing that I would say is that Michael Downs is gearing up to teach For They Know Not What They Do by Slavoj Žižek. We're putting out all these introduction videos and other interviews related to the topic of Hegel, Lacan, Žižek because we want to give people an accessible and sturdy basis in the discourse. The problem is, is that Michael Downs is very busy having to work at a wage slave job. And so if you want to help in freeing Mikey, make sure to go to his Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the dangerous baby and make a donation. Thank you. I would be remiss to close this out without a quick shout out to our patrons and our anonymous donors. Thank you so much for the donations that already we've only been around for a month. We already got over $3,000 in donations. Um, and so thank you. And uh, stay tuned for the app, which is on its way. There will be a Fury Underground app. So the current setup is that it is a social media site built around courses where you can suppose that people who are involved in the discussions have a shared interest in the same or similar texts and where you can assume in a lot of the discussions that yeah people have read the stuff that you're reading uh that you're bringing into dialogue and so 
for instance, the idea of the University by Carl Jaspers, dedicated forum. Slavoj Zizek's for later on what they do, dedicated forum. And then as people take the course over the years, new people will be coming into that forum. And so if you get in there early, you'll be able to see how the conversation evolves. And as new people add into the conversation, it'll bring back memories and like things that you want to work through, questions that you had with the first time that you read the text. And so I'm really excited for this. The reason I've built this website is because I think that this is what's lacking in so many other spaces is that ability to return, to be able to communicate after the fact and in a sustained way on a platform that's not attention grabby and annoying like discord and so stay tuned because there is an app on the way thank you to our donors if you want to donate go to theory-underground.com forward slash support thank you all right everyone as promised here is your coupon code for the early bird sale to the CMT course. It is uppercase CMT. That's for critical media theory. And then two more words, each starting with an uppercase, April and pod. So uppercase MCT, uppercase A, lowercase PRIL, uppercase P, lowercase OD. CMT April pod. And that coupon code will get you 25% off if you sign up for this course before the end of April. So make sure to go to theory-underground.com and go to courses and it should work for the digital literacy and CMT course with myself and Anne. Hope to see you there. Take care.